Last week, as I gave the message, we began a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, and that's found at, uh, early on in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 it starts. And I've actually divided the sermon up into 11 weeks, so at the current rate of three, the current rate of three Sundays a month, it's going to take us nearly four months to get through it, and yet Jesus gave it in one message on the side of a mountain. And sometimes I wonder whether, whether we try to make things too simple because um, he said a lot of stuff in that Sermon on the Mount and there's a lot of stuff that's really challenging and there's a lot of stuff that today that if, if, if I was to get up and preach it without any explanation, people go, yeah, how, how could you possibly just tell your people that and expect them to understand it? Whereas Jesus did that all the time. And I think sometimes he wants us to... Um, to really grapple with, with the words that he says and work out, well, and really dwell on them and think, well, what, what are you actually saying to me in this instead of actually having it all spoon-fed? And there's sometimes when I've actually um, just given the Sermon on the Mount as a sermon. Um, usually I do that, I, I try to do it every probably three or four years if I'm with the same group of people. Um, because I think it's really important for us to just hear the words of Jesus um, as they are. And it's, it's, um, it's a powerful message when you, when you do that. And I'm hoping that sometime during, during this series that I'll actually be able to do that. I usually sort of keep that one up my sleeve for if I have a, have a week where I don't have time to write a sermon or something and, and we, can, we can do that then. Um, but we started out on the Beatitudes, you know, where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and, and so on and so on. Um, and we learnt that these Beatitudes, they're actually attributes of God's character that he develops in us. We shouldn't look at them as, as stuff that we have to do in order to be saved. Instead, it's as we live as Christians, the Holy Spirit living in us starts to develop these attributes in our life. It's much like what Paul talks about, the fruit of the Spirit that grows in our lives. Uh, yeah, Citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven, and that's what this Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's what the Kingdom of Heaven is all about. And citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven, Christians, are characterised by these attributes of the heart. And today we're going to be learning more about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm actually going to be doing something a bit different today to what I normally do. Usually when I preach, I take one big chunk of scripture um, and I, I get annoyed when people just take a couple of verses from here and a couple of verses from here and a couple of verses from here because God actually give us, gives it to us in one, you know, in big chunk. And, and I usually look at that and, okay, well, what is it all saying when it's all held together? That's what I usually do. Um, I'm going to be doing it quite different today. I'm going to be taking three separate pieces of this one sermon to see how they interrelate to each other. So let's have a read of them. Um, so the first one's going to be Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And then we're going to jump forward to chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. And then we're going to jump a little bit further forward to verses 16 to 18. Can I have a volunteer to read that for us, please? Who wants to volunteer? You are? Yep. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. 
Okay, so the second reading now, jumping forward to chapter 6. Be careful, is it me? Yeah, 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 if you're happy to. Unless somebody else wants to have a go. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they pray, love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your, your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Okay, now the last couple of verses. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will be not obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Thank you. Okay. A uh, radio n- announcer in Los Angeles, after a, about 30 minutes after a major earthquake, appealed to the listeners, the telephone company is urging people not to use the telephone lines unless it's absolutely necessary. So they want to keep their lines open for emergency use only. So please do that. And we'll be back right after this message um, and we're going to give away some Phil Collins tickets to call the number 95. <laughs> <laughs> I just love contradictions. Um, now if these readings that we just read had been written by Michael Brumpton, most probably people would probably say, well, he's a fool, that fellow, he's contradicting himself. First he's saying, let all your works be seen by everyone. And then he's saying, don't let anyone see your works. Um, now, fortunately for you and I, Michael Brumpton didn't write this. And while he might be prone to changing his mind at times, uh, God isn't. And certainly not in the space of, of um, half a sermon. And as these words are the words of the Lord, we know that they're true and we know that his word is timeless and it continues to be true and therefore it doesn't contradict itself. So we're going to be looking at these and and we're going to start with the the latter reading first. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 8 and then verses 16 to 18. The piece that we missed in between those, by the way, is the Lord's Prayer. 
Okay, so we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer by itself at another time. But these verses basically say when you do your righteous acts, whether it's giving to the poor or whether it's praying or whether it's fasting, whenever you do good stuff, do it for an audience of one. Okay, so when you do good stuff, don't go drawing attention to yourself and what you've done so that people will think, my, what a good fellow he is, or, or wow, isn't she a great chick for what she's done? Instead, when you do it, do it quietly, do it without drawing attention to yourself, do it modestly. Uh, in fact, do it in secret so that nobody else knows what you've done and only your Heavenly Father will see that you've done these good things and he will reward you. You see, if you do it for others to see, you'll still get a reward. But it's an earthly reward. It's that others will think good of you and, 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 and you'll get their recognition. But if you do your good in such a way that only your Heavenly Father can see and know what you've done, then you get a heavenly reward. That's a recognition of your Heavenly Father. And, and I know which reward I'd rather have. And that's the one from God. Now that is what we call the economy of the kingdom of heaven. And it's nothing like the economy of the world. Um, I used to work at the Dolby Ag College and at times uh, we used to, part of my job, we used to have to seek sponsorship from various companies and corporations um, to, to ask them to sponsor some initiative or whatever that we're doing. And whenever somebody was considering whether they would sponsor a certain event or initiative, the first question that they would, we would always have to satisfy for them is what recognition was in it for them? You know, so what sort of signage could, could we put up with their logo plastered all over it and, and what sort of frontage would it have and how many people will be going past and how big will it be so how much attention will it draw on them and when we send out flyers and advertising and stuff about this, you know, what sort of prominence would their logo get on, on all of this um, stuff and so on. It was all about what sort of recognition was in it for their company. Um, how will they benefit by doing this good act. Um, when you drive past the Royal Brisbane Hospital, you know, on the little bit of a bypass, what's that road called, Robin, when you drive past? The inner city bypass. The inner city bypass. <laughs> when you drive past the Royal Brisbane Hospital, the biggest, brightest, bright red sign up on the side of that hospital are the words Clive Berghofer. Uh, I don't know if they're still there. Are they still there, Robin? Do you know? They, they are still there? Now, they're up there because he donated a lot of money to cancer research. Right? An enormous amount of money, more than what you and I can imagine. And we'll probably ever earn in our whole lifetime. And, I mean, that was a great thing that he did, to donate that money to cancer research. And, of course, part of it is to put his name up there in lights. Now, the problem with it is... He's already got his reward. That's the only reward he's going to get, the recognition of men. heard a story a few years back um, where the US were giving food aid to Iraq um, with the hope of winning their hearts and their minds. And, um, and they were getting a bit cranky because they were kicking up a stink because all of this US food aid was all labelled UN and they wanted it labelled US. You see, they wanted the recognition that, hey, we're the ones who are doing this good stuff. 
Of course, everybody knows about Ronald McDonald House. It's, you know, yep, we, we could just give money to, to, the, to the kids' families to stay and, and so on. I mean, that's a good thing, but we've got to get the recognition for it. And it's the same. That's, that's the world's economy. Um, thankfully, plaques on church furniture donated by so-and-so are becoming less common. Um, although plenty of churches today still have, have them. These are the world's economy. It's not God's economy. A few years ago, the church that I was involved with responded to the needs of the victims of the Victorian bushfires. We rang up and somebody we knew down there and said, well, what, what's the need? What's the greatest need down there? And they said, caravans. We've got all these people that have got nowhere to live. They want to be on their own property, but they've got no house or anything. We want caravans. Right, we'll see what we can do. In our little church, we organised three caravans and took them down there. Well, somehow the ABC radio heard about it and um, they rang me up and asked if, if I'd do an interview with them. And so they could tell the story of how this little country church were doing their bit for, um, for the folk down south. And, you know, and, and, and they put it in such a tempting manner. It was like, you know, and you'll be able to encourage others that, you know, even though they're small and, and they don't think that they might be able to do much, you know, they'll be able to do it. And, and I had this instant turmoil inside of me. And I started thinking, yeah, here's a bit of recognition finally for what our church is doing. And, you know, and, and, you know people in the local community will hear about it and, and maybe, maybe some people might want to get involved in the church and... So instant turmoil. And I said, Jenny, thanks for the offer. But Jesus said, when you give to the needy, let that be between you and God. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So no, I think we won't do the interview. Um, the economy of the kingdom of heaven is very different to the economy that we're used to. Do your generous acts in secret. The fact that you'll be doing generous acts, the fact that you'll be giving, the fact that you'll be praying, um, that's all taken for granted because that's the way of the kingdom of heaven. That's the way of the king. That's the way of our heavenly father. He is generous. He is righteous. And that's the way of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's The fact that we'll do it is taken for granted it's how we do it that matters. Do it quietly. Don't big note yourself. God knows about it and he's the only one that matters. So how does this all fit in with being salt and light? Right? So we had the first reading that said, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So which is it? Do we, do, do we hide it? Or do we shout it out from the rooftops? Which is it? Well, I want you to notice that one is about being and the other is about doing. Right? When you do good things, keep it between God, you and God. Don't advertise what you've done because then if you advertise it, then you will get the glory. But what you are Be very public about that. Do not advertise what you have done, but do advertise 
what God has done. Do advertise what God has done in you. If being a Christian was a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict you of it? We all do things that are crimes. I drove through a red light today. There you go, that's my confession to you. Um, But there's no evidence to convict me of that unless Robin testifies against me uh, and you like now that I've confessed. Um, The thing is, like, and we can be Christians but not have any evidence to show that. Um, there are a lot of us who are secret agent Christians. There's a, there's a pop song, Christian pop song back when I was a young fella it, um, about being a secret agent Christian, but it must be longer ago than I can remember because I did a search for it on the internet to get some of the lyrics and I could not find it anywhere. So it was obviously well before the internet was ever thought of. <laughs> But we're not meant to be secretive about what God has done for us. And that's what it means to let your light shine. Alright? So, as Christians, yeah, we will do good stuff. Um, and the world will notice it. You know, no matter how, no matter how much you, you try to do your righteous deeds in private, the world will still notice that there's something different about you. There's something, well look, the Holy Spirit is living in you, okay? They will notice that. And letting your light shine is being public about Christ and they will know that you're a Christian. Um, verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. Uh, now the Beatitudes come right before this, as I said before. And the Beatitudes are all about who we are. It's about what God is, is doing in us. And now Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? At one meeting, some young people were discussing this text and one suggestion after another was made as to the meaning of salt. Salt imparts a desirable flavour, one said. Salt preserves from decay, suggested another. But then a Chinese Christian girl spoke out of an experience that none of the others had. And she said, salt creates thirst. And as she said it, there was then a sudden hush in the room as everybody started thinking, have I ever made anyone thirsty for the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, we could talk all day about what it means to be salt. But I think really... It's what Christ has made us. To be salt means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that might mean that, yep, you're you're giving a nice flavour to the whole world. A little bit of salt adds a nice flavour to the whole world. It might be that it makes you a bit of a preservative. You know, a society without any Christians in it all is a very dark and very bad place. Um... Or it might be creating a thirst for the Lord Jesus Christ. But ultimately what it means is to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he's actually talking to his disciples here. Right at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, we, we picture Jesus talking to a great big crowd of people. And he was, but there was one specific group that he was talking to there. Chapter 5, verse 1, when the sermon begins, it introduces it by saying, when, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. 
his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Okay, so the Sermon on the Mount, he was actually teaching his disciples with a heap of other people listening in on the teaching. And it was to these disciples that he said to them, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. The salt, to lose its saltiness, is for disciples of Jesus Christ to lose their discipleness. I just made that word up. Okay? Um, at least the spell checker didn't like it. Um, it is for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven to lose the character of the kingdom of heaven. And if that happens, then we're no good for anything at all. Now, the scientist in me wants to... I love science. You should remember that probably. I don't know. But I love science. And, and it wants me to say, NaCl, sodium chloride, is always sodium chloride. It, it can't lose its saltiness. And, you know, it'd have to have some kind of chemical reaction to actually bust it apart, and then it's no longer salt at all. Well... How can it lose its saltiness? I'll tell you how. Dilution and contamination. That's the way salt loses its saltiness. Yeah, the salt is still there, but it's lost its saltiness. Now, you very quickly know if you've made the porridge and forgot to put the salt in. You've forgotten to do that before, Doug? What's it taste like? It is just awful. It's just horrible, tasteless stuff. Um, but I've made a pot of porridge once and made it to the right recipe and stuff and then go, oh, we've actually got visitors that are going to want more so you add a bit more rolled oats and a bit more water and then you forget to add more salt and we've diluted it and what it goes back to the ooh, ooh, yeah it diluted the salt and it's lost its saltiness and if you as a Christian spend all of your time out in the world and hardly any time with any other Christians uh, then your faith can very quickly become diluted. Uh, there's a story of a man who said, you know, it's like there's two dogs, two dogs in me. There's one dog which is a good dog and the, one, and the other dog which is the bad dog and they're fighting each other all the time. And, um, and his mate said to him, so which dog wins? He said, the one I feed. And if we're feeding, if we're feeding our our soul with, with the spirit of God then the saltiness gets there but if we don't feed our spirit and we start feeding the flesh with all of the ways of the world then we lose our saltiness uh, the second way salt can lose its saltiness is by contamination um, as a young fellow I used to shoot roos and skin them and then I'd take them to skins to the old shearing shed and, and I'd salt the skins and, and then um, when it came time to take the skins to town because I was pretty frugal I'd save as much salt as I could so I'd get an old tarp and I'd shake the skins out on did you ever do that John? Or you just did, just did carcasses or something? Yeah, you probably had a roll of drums. No, anyway, I'd shake, I'd shake the salt onto the tarp and save as much as I could and, and take the skins and sell them, and, and then I'd reuse that salt. But after you'd used that salt three or four times, it just became one great big stuck, sticky, gooey, bloody, fatty mess. It was, it was contaminated, and I'd just have to throw it away and start afresh with new stuff. 
And as Christians, if we stop living by kingdom principles and start living a worldly life, we get contaminated and we lose our saltiness. Salt. I love salt. Um, much more than I should. We've got a friend who's a doctor and she used to come and have meals with us and um, she'd just shake her head and say, Michael, you eat way too much salt. But I love it. It's good. And I always sort of thought, well, it can't be a bad thing. God says that Christians are salt. You know, yeah. But um, they're supposed to be pure, white and yummy. Um, disciples of Jesus Christ are the salt of the earth. Pure, clean, adding flavour. Don't lose that about yourself. We're not only salty, disciples of Jesus Christ are light. He said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now we've all driven into Dolby or Toowoomba at night and seen the glow from miles out, haven't we? Um, I know one time I was harvesting at home and we had bad melon hole country and um, there was a bit of a wet harvest and there was wet melon holes and you'd have to trace your way around them and, and I'd act, it was a moonless cloudy night and I actually got lost one night and I, I had no idea where I was in this paddock and I'd sort of lost the edge and we'd sort of anyway Dad said to me Michael all you've got to do is you, you've got your ute parked at the at the at the torsal bin, just turn on the interior light. Doesn't matter how far away it is, you'll see it. And I think, that little light? Anyway, I did it. And, yeah, that tiny little interior light, you could see it from miles away. And um, that's all we need to do. Sitting on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Light is only any good if it's visible. I'd turn that little light on in the the ute. Now, if I'd gone and thrown a tarp over the top of the ute, never, never see it, of course. But what is this light? Where does it come from? Who are we putting on display? The light, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. But what light is it really? We were coming home last night from Toowoomba and saw the moon. It was just a tiny little streak. It must be just about a new moon. Did you see it last night? It was just tiny little, hardly anything. But I started thinking about the moon. And um, the moon to the sun is very much like what we are to the S-O-N. The moon lights the night, but it's not its own light. It's simply reflecting the light of the sun. And we are the light of the world, but it's not our own light. It's the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we reflect. So who are we putting on display Jesus. When we live with kingdom values, when the very character of God comes out in our character, who are the world seeing in action? God. And so who gets the glory? Shouldn't be you or I. 
should be God. God does it because, sorry, God gets the glory because it's about what we are and not what we do. And you are a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you do good things, that's between you and God. But when you live by kingdom values, that's not normal and people will notice it. You know, there's been times when I've dealt with somebody, might have been, they might have been in a shop or something or whatever, and I've thought to myself, I wonder if that fellow's a Christian. Yeah, he's just the way that he operates, and, and he's a really nice fellow, but the way that he operates, is not, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a Christian. And sometimes I've dealt with someone for years and years before I've finally found out they are a Christian. And they've been very secretive about it the whole time. And sometimes I think we can be like that. You are the light of the world. Shine the light that is Christ in every quadrant of your world. I reckon a lot of us put on our Christianity like we put on a, a set of clothes. Hmm, I'm going to church today. I'll put on my Christianity. Um, I'll, be, I'll be openly Christian today. I'll even talk about it. If people don't want to talk about the weather, I'll talk about God. Okay, I can do that. But then the next day it might be, hmm, I'm going to go and visit so-and-so today. They're nice people. I'll behave like a Christian today, but I won't talk about God because that would be impolite. But then the next day after that, ooh, sheep work today. I'm going to need to swear a lot. I'm going to need to kick the dog a bit. No, no Christianity that day. How often do you cover up your Christianity? It's just wrong to do that. Um, and it can ruin us to do that. I had a, I had a really good spotlight once and um, it accidentally got turned on but it was face down on the back of the ute and it just totally melted the, the perspex and, and everything that was, was on it. It was a bright light but it was covered up. Let your light shine before men. Don't hide it. Be proud of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be proud of your Saviour and share that light to the whole world. When people see Christ in you, that's when God gets the glory. And that's why when we do good stuff, we don't want people to know about it because then we'd get the glory. Our job is not to get glory for ourselves, but to bring glory to God for what he's done. And your changed character is the thing that should bring glory to God. But only if people know that you're a Christian. Only only if people know that it's Christ who has done it. Um, I've started now getting, like, just giving the message and then just giving people a time for comments and questions and just so we can have a bit of a discussion about the readings or what God's been saying or, or if there's any questions about what we just talked about. So just think for a minute and if you get a question. Mm. Yeah, cattle work, 
<laughs> oh, cattle do it too, just as well you don't have sheep. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And yeah, we all have our flaws still. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's difficult because there's that many people that as soon as anything about God's mentioned, it's just straight away a negative reaction from them. Hmm. Even last time we were here, I went over to the shop and, oh, where have you been all dressed up? I said, oh, church at the, at the sports club. Oh, jeez, did it burn? Yeah. So you know, 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 you it wasn't a backpack type, it was a middle-aged woman. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, that's an interesting comment because um, when I first thought, okay, well, where would we do something here? Mm-hmm. I actually went to the shop and I said, I actually didn't even know this hall was in here. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I just drive through. And, um, you yeah, I just wanted to ask, um, you yeah, what's about? And, and then asking who the contact person was for this and so on and... But as soon as I mentioned church, it was just total disinterest and just didn't want to talk at all. But if it, when it's someone that you know and, and they say to you something like, oh, did it just burn, that's, that's actually an opening. That's actually an opening rather than a shutdown. It, it, it's when I mean, you can say, yeah, a lot of people think that, yeah, yeah, that the roof's going to fall in or something if you go to church, but God's actually very approachable. <laughs> it's it's like it, it's it's something which is real to me, and that's all you got to say. Mm. And you don't know what they're going to think about for the next two hours when you leave. Mm. You just have no idea. Mm. Which I, I, I've just been just thinking it's probably actually a lot more easier than than what we think. And you know, Jesus said, all you got to do is tell people that the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the message kingdom of heaven's near and some people that will start people thinking like you look at all the parables and stuff uh, and that gets back to how I introduced all this was about Jesus gave this whole message in one message Um, but you think about the parables Jesus used to just tell the story and then we've got the meanings because he then explained it to his disciples later. Most people just got to hear the story and then they'd sort of go away for the next week thinking, what was that about? And start, they make you think. And sometimes I think rather than us outlining the, the seven points to salvation when we meet someone and want to try and convert them, all we've actually got to say is, you know, the kingdom of heaven's near. And when the Holy Spirit goes to work, who knows? Six months later, that person might say to you, what did you mean by that when you said that? We don't know. We, we don't have to jam it into them. Um, yeah. But you can even witness to your neighbours by not working on Sunday. You know? Yeah. Like even during harvest, like we stop. 
Yeah. I'm not regretting my man, but you know, but you know, we survived. Yeah. We just carry on. Yes. Yeah. That's the way. The way I'm witnessing. Yes. Yes. I, I've often wondered about if you get a whole district together, whether yeah, a whole district of Christians. And everybody did that because the Bible actually says, you know, you do this so that you, you, you see, you get the rain in season. And I'm sort of wondering, I wonder if a whole district did it, whether the seasons would prove more regular for us. I don't know. I don't know. But we don't do it for reward, do we? We do it to, as a witness and out of obedience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in Job it says, oh, actually, more than Job, it says in a couple of spots in the Bible, it says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And I know when John Jomling first heard that <laughs> mentioned in church, like he and Dad just talked to each other on two-way each time, and, and it would rain, and, and, and we'd hear a voice come over two-way, so were you just or unjust? <laughs> and... Um, yeah, that just became the regular thing. Hmm. I believe there's parts of the Red Sea where the salt can't be used because it's sort of contaminated. Okay. With chips from The Red Sea or Dead Sea? Dead Sea. Dead Sea. Yeah. I couldn't use it. Yeah, yeah. So I've heard, as I read all the commentaries around this about what salt and everything means, that, that certainly is one of the meanings that was given that um, in some parts like of course they used to just shovel up the, the salt from the sides of salt pans and particularly the Dead Sea, there's plenty of it there and um, in some areas they're actually shoveling up gypsum and so if you want to use it as a preservative you know, you put it in and the first thing that you preserve with it absorbs all the salt and just leaves the gypsum so next time you use it, well it's, or you Doing God as gypsum or or limestone or whatever it is that it's there, and it's no good for anything. Make a road out of it. Yeah. Yeah. 